West Bowles, good morning. Thank you for being here, those of you in person and those of you joining us online. And real quick, a special thanks to, first of all, last week, our youth and youth leaders brought us Youth Sunday. If you didn't get to be here, go back and check it out. But thank you to you guys. And then would you also please thank Ginger and our worship team as well for bringing us service this morning. Uh, Finally, one more thing. I'm just going to close in prayer after this because this is so much stuff. Okay, Uh, please be praying. We've got 40 people from the congregation in Juarez, Mexico right now. And so they are there for these next few days. Please keep that team in prayer as well. So, some of you are looking at me funny, because usually we've done communion by now. That is coming, actually, at the end of the message, okay? So, don't worry. It's coming. Okay. Um, We've entered November, and where is 2022 gone? It is kind of crazy how fast it has gone. I am reminded that this is like the month of memories, okay? This is the month of memories, because in a few weeks, we're all going to— in two and a half weeks, we're all going to sit down at a table, and we're going to reflect on memories, aren't we? In fact, as I was thinking about it, just this week, I flashed back to uh, just Thanksgiving when I was younger. Do any of you have, just by show of hands, uh, like a designated prayer, like a prayer, a person who prays for the meal at Thanksgiving, like it's always the same person? Okay, so there's a few. Okay, um, that's me now, okay? And every time people are like, Pastor, you want to pray? I'm like, no, I'm Nathan today. You need the practice. You pray. For the, for the meal, okay? But when I was younger, I remember we had somebody that would just pray for the Thanksgiving meal because we had relatives show up and everything. And it just went on and on and on. And so sometimes when people say, Nathan, do you want to pray? I'm like, uh, maybe I do. Maybe I do. Just save us some time and we can get right to it. But I remember this one Thanksgiving, my sister and I were five years apart. She's five years younger than me. And I remember we're standing around the table, and this person who was praying, they just kept going and kept going and kept going, and they decided to move into what they were grateful for as part of the prayer, which is so aggravating, okay? I know it's Thanksgiving, but that's irritating. We'll get to that while we're stuffing our faces. But anyway, they just start going into it, and suddenly I, like, hear this noise, and I look over, and, you know, we're all holding hands, and you got your eyes shut, and I looked up, and I was like, Oh my gosh, my sister, she's just face down in her plate, just like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> Try it this Thanksgiving. Try it. <laughs> Record it, all right? Uh, but pray too. Okay, so anyhow, I, I bring all this up because we get to this month, and it's amazing how November makes us think of Thanksgiving, but then it's easy to wait until we get to the day of Thanksgiving to actually. Think about gratitude, right? I mean, have you had that moment where maybe you have that family tradition? You're going around the table. You're sharing what you're grateful for. And if you haven't thought about it, it is just, it's agonizing. I mean, it is a grind to think of stuff. Because you're kind of looking around like uh, the drywall. I'm I'm thankful for that. And the carpet. and, And the truth is, if we all were to sit down and really, really reflect on what God has poured out, onto us and into our lives, we should be able to just be a fountain of gratitude in that moment going around the table, shouldn't we? We absolutely should. I think we'd all agree with that, but how 
I guess the question I want to ask over the next few weeks, and we're going to be in a passage that really specifically points us at gratitude and ingratitude, how do you cultivate the kind of gratitude that God notices? How do you cultivate that? Because as we look at this passage, it's, it's, a, it's an account of Jesus healing these 10 lepers in Luke chapter 17. We're going to be there today and the next two Sundays. It's really, really interesting what comes out in this, in this account of this healing. And as you think about it, one of, the, one, of the, one of the characteristics of this account and this situation is the presence of need. And I don't just mean like, uh, I, I could use and I kind of want. I mean, it's like desperate, desperate need. These guys are lepers, and we'll get into that in a minute here. But there is a level of need that when you see that need get answered, it is a different kind of gratitude, isn't it? It is just completely, completely different. It's not, oh, I'm thankful for the kind of um, nebulous, abstract blessings I've been given in my life. It's like, no, God did that right there, and I have a testimony because of it. That's a deeper and different kind of gratitude. And so today, as you think about your life, you may land in that boat where you look around life, and there is no desperate need right now. And if that's you, that's okay. These next few weeks are for you. Likewise, if you're looking around at life and it's just there are needs everywhere, that can also create a dynamic where it's hard to be grateful. Because I'm looking around and I see this thing that I'm desperate to have God answer and I'm desperate to see God do something with or an area of my life or a person in my life. You know, it doesn't seem like he's doing anything. But I'm here to tell you, if you'll just take my word for it today, and we'll get there today in the next few weeks. Need, desperate need, is part of that prelude to gratitude. That is, some stuff happens before we land at a posture of genuine, deep, different kind of, wow, oh my goodness, I can't believe God did that gratitude. And so we're going to look at that today. And the idea today is that need really brings us to something that we're going to see here in a moment. Let me, let me read this to you. This is Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 13. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. Now, to have leprosy that day and age meant separation. I mean, they were separated from, from society. They were separated from participating in things. Some of you are like, this sounds wonderful, right? No, but they were even separated from the Savior, as we'll see here next. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And some translations say, have pity on us. See, the first thing that desperate need does, just from reading this right here, God uses our need to open our mouths. And a lot of times he uses our need to, as it says, pry open our mouths. And what I mean by that is there is nothing like need to get you praying, is there? There is nothing like desperate, desperate need to go, oh my goodness, I, I need something beyond me. And this is really where these 10 lepers, I think they, they kind of, they pull ahead of us a little bit. Let me take you back to this sentence. Read it again. They stood at a distance and what they do? Called out. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice. Now, that tension brings, or that sentence brings up some tension for every single one of us. 
Because while we see them calling out, you know what we tend to do instead? Instead of calling out? Figuring out. Right? Isn't that what we do when we encounter need and we encounter difficulty? I just, I just got to figure it out. I, I got this. You know, you, just think back to the last time somebody asked you if you needed help. Right? Nah, I got it. I got it. It's a natural thing. See, need is where we're faced with a choice between calling out and figuring out. And as I think about that, I don't know about you, but it just stirs me to pray the statement they said next. Look at it again. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus, Master, have mercy or pity on us. Now, the reason I want to bring us to this prayer, and this is actually where we're camping out today, is just this prayer. Because when you dig around Scripture, you know what? This is a prayer that starts showing up everywhere. I mean, it is just all over the place. But I think the thing that has really caught my attention is that situations that are so saturated with need that this prayer is prayed in, or something very synonymous with this prayer. You you look around Scripture, and even though these are situations that are thousands of years gone by, there are some very modern-day parallels to what you and I are facing on a daily and weekly basis. That when you look at the situation and the context in which people prayed this prayer in Scripture, you begin to understand how, they, how you and I and how they would have arrived at a much deeper gratitude because of what God had done. Now, th- there are a few, I mean, all life situations really face us with this choice, right? You can call out to God. You can call out to your Savior. You can try to figure it out yourself. But as I looked at where this shows up in Scripture, there were a handful of situations that I just went, yeah, we go through that today. And in fact, those are situations that really, they intensify this, this choice of either calling out or figuring out. And so I, I just want to walk through a few different places you find this prayer. Because many of us in here, if I could just nudge you, if you could just take one step today. I mean, what is this? It's six words. Could I nudge you this week to pray this prayer? That's it. Part of a prelude to gratitude. I mean, we'll get to the Thanksgiving part. But what if you started now, a couple weeks out, and just tried this prayer out, specifically in a few situations? The first one, you go to Matthew chapter 9, and and you see the first life situation where this really becomes a challenge, but also an opportunity. Matthew 9, 27 says this. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, one of those first life situations is this one right here. I mean, I know many of you in here, you've gone to church your whole life. You would say you've given your life to Christ, but you ever feel like you're just following blindly? See, when following blindly, it is so, so tempting to look around and go, I'll just figure it out. I'll just figure it out. Jesus, I gave my life to you, but now I'm going to take like what's coming up and what's and going forward. I'm going to take that back and I'm just going to figure it out. And I love the way Matthew says it next because he says this, <clears throat> when he had gone indoors. Okay, wait a second. So two blind men just looked at you, Jesus, and they said, have mercy on us. And then he went inside. You ever feel like that? where it makes it sound like Jesus like heard their cry and then he went, I'm not going to deal with that today, all right? I'm just going to go inside, right? We, we have those moments in life where it's like, did, did you hear me, God? 
I, I mean, have I been left to just follow on my own? <clears throat> Excuse me. When he had gone indoors, the blind men, notice what they did. They came to him. They kept following. When he went inside, they didn't just stay out there and go, oh, I guess God gave up on us. They came to him and, asked, and he asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Do you believe I'm able to meet your need? Yes, Lord, and notice who he emphasized, him, not us. He didn't say, figure it out from here. He said, do you believe that I can do it? And if you feel like you've been following Jesus for, for whether it's been days or, or weeks or years, it's a question worth asking ourselves. When I don't know what's next, do I believe that Jesus still has me? Do I believe that Jesus has guidance for what's next? Do I believe that the body of Jesus provides guidance for what's next? See, a lot of times what we want to do is we want to run ahead of him. And we decide to say, hey, it's Jesus, you follow me now, right? We can all get in that mode because we're convinced we know exactly what not just Jesus wants, but what he needs. So we'll lead him, right? Next, next situation. This is in Matthew chapter 15. <clears throat> Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out. And here's our prayer again. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Now, there's desperate need there again, isn't there? And then look, look at this. What, what happened? Jesus did not answer a word. And it's kind of similar to our first situation, isn't it? We just feel like God seems so quiet. And God, if you're going to be quiet, then, well, I, I guess I'm just going to go my own way. And then to make things worse, his disciples, right? So these are the representatives. His disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Nice. Yeah, I mean, you want to look at the disciples and be like, this, this is not the goal here, Right? And yet I know for many of us in here, there are, you could just tell stories and stories and stories of experiences in church where God seemed quiet and his people, you know, his representatives, they just made you want to quit, didn't they? I mean, because, because of a, a terrible experience or whatever it was, you could just continue to tell stories. Now, if you follow that account, Jesus engages in, in, in a, eventually engages in a conversation with this woman. And, and he says, you know, it wouldn't be right for me to give to you what was meant for other people. And he's referencing the Jews. And you know what her response was? I'll take the crumbs. Like, even dogs will eat the crumbs that fall off of the table. And it's such a reminder for us that what faith and what calling out can look like when God seems quiet and people, his people make you want to quit, is that all God needs are crumbs. All he has to give us, he can do so much. Remember, we've talked about this. He can do a lot with a little. If he can turn loaves and a few fish into feeding multitudes, yeah, he can use crumbs, can't he? And it's possible that we can start with just calling out. It's not figuring out how to, for in the woman's case, figuring out how to get Jesus to do what I want, but instead calling out and saying, I'll take the crumbs. I'll just take the crumbs because I know that's all you need. Now, in America, we don't, we don't like crumbs, do we? Right? Because this seems like the land of abundance and plenty, and, and there's no restaurant you go to that has crumbs on the menu. 
And yet faith says, no, I know what God can do with the crumbs. Jesus creates in and with the crumbs. I'll take the crumbs. See, that's calling out when God seems quiet and his people make you want to quit. There's another situation where this prayer is prayed. We get into Matthew chapter 20. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men, here's two blind men again. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And look at this, the crowd. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. You want to know that third situation that can put you into, it can just intensify this choice? It's when the crowd gets loud, isn't it? Right? I mean, you you leave these doors, and right now, I mean, you're you're part of a, a crowd of followers of Jesus. But when you go out there, and you step into Monday, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, you are surrounded by a crowd that they're not going the same direction as you are. And everything around us can get really, really loud, can't it? And you can, you can hear the, just the shouts, and you can hear the demands of the world. Can we not? I mean, I don't know about you. When I was younger, it just seems like society and culture and our world is much more polarized against Christianity than it ever has been. Maybe, maybe every generation says this. I don't know. But I'm, I'm noticing it more and more. It's kind of like being, honestly, a referee. There's a man named Michael Lopez who did a study of about 1,400 different football referees. And what he found was that referees, while we think they're complete robots and they, they should make, and they should make the perfect call every single time, but it doesn't happen, does it? At least not when it's against your team. It's not the perfect call, right? Well, Michael Lopez, he did this study, and what he found in these interviews and and these questionnaires with NFL referees and college football referees as well is that when there's a close play, they call it a bang-bang play in football, where it's like the ball was caught, the hit was delivered, did he catch it, did he drop it, was it a fumble, you know, where it's just in slow motion, it's so easy to see. But when it's real time, you got to make the call. And he found that in an overwhelming amount of cases, NFL and college football referees were susceptible to making a call that would appease whatever those closest to them were demanding of them. Now, I'm good with that if it's for Michigan against Ohio State in three weeks, okay? That's right. All right. Um, Anyway, we can close in prayer there too. But anyway, but we can't be okay with that when it comes to faith. Can we? See, when you go out these doors, and when you encounter the, hosp- the hostility, and when you encounter opposition, you're going to do one of two things. You're going to try to figure it out. You're going to try to figure out how to resist it. How can I resist on my own strength? Or are you going to do what these guys did? Listen to what they did next. The crowd rebuked them, told them to be quiet, But they shouted all the louders, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And this should be a reminder that throughout Scripture, the heritage of Christianity, the heritage of God's people is always as a remnant. There is not a time in history where God's people were the the overpowering governing force. There's not. 
You walk through the Old Testament, and there were all kinds of empires that ruled over them. And so they found themselves in captivity. They found themselves persecuted. They found themselves the minority. They were never the majority. God always, always, always seems to use a remnant. And you look at the early church. How has it survived? We know how. But you look at it, and you go, that's never going to make it. Twelve disciples who scattered, who didn't get it for a few years, then the Holy, Holy Spirit showed up. And suddenly you go, oh, I see, I see how it made it. And it wasn't figuring it out. It's calling out, Lord, have mercy on us. A couple more situations where you may encounter this. Matthew 17, when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. And if you jump over to Mark's account, you realize the man is saying, my son is possessed by an impure evil spirit. And here's how he says it in Mark. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. See, you want to know when else you're faced with the choice to figure it out or call out? Is when the struggle has just stretched you thin. I mean, it's not like a struggle that just started this last hour. You've been dealing with it and dealing with it and dealing with it and dealing with it. And you notice, did you notice the difference in the man's statements there? He was incredibly familiar with his journey. He was incredibly familiar with the struggle, naturally. And yet he was very unfamiliar with what Jesus could do. I mean, does that not describe us in many different areas? You know, we just walk in a world that isn't familiar with Jesus. Yet we're all very familiar with with the effects and the ways darkness is at work in this world. And so we're going to try to figure it out or we're going to call out one more. This is in Luke chapter 18. Jesus is telling a parable. And he says this, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. And then Jesus moves on. He says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, here's our prayer. Have mercy on me, a sinner. I have to think, I don't don't know every single situation in here, but I'd have to think that every single person in here, you've dealt with this situation when shame shows up. When shame shows up, because you're, or maybe we're looking left and right and we're comparing to one another. Somebody else is comparing themselves to us. But when shame shows up, do you want to know what we tend to do? We tend to, we tend to try to puff up. We try to power up. We try to discredit the other people. We try to make ourselves look good. And yet that wasn't Jesus, his, his response to this, his solution for this. Here's what Jesus said next. I tell you that this man rather than the other, this is the tax collector he's referring to, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
You want to know the most difficult time to call out? The most difficult time to pray is when you feel far away, isn't it? And you got to be reminded. We have to be reminded over and over and over that even when you're far, he's near. You think you're far away, and he says, no, I'm right here. I am right here. So again, I don't know. I don't know what your situation is right now. Maybe you are following blindly right now. You know, maybe God seems quiet and, and people who supposedly represent him make you want to quit. You know, it, it could be a number of things. Maybe shame has shown up. The struggle has stretched you thin. I mean, it could be any number of these, these situations. And over and over and over, the need, the need, it feels like God's forcing it. But he can use the need to open our mouths and talk to him. Because just think about this. You're probably going to go talk to somebody about it, right? And oftentimes we do a lot of this. We go, we go here, I'm going to go to everybody around me before I've taken it there. And he says, just call out. Just call out. There, there's a very real, real dynamic. We face this every single day. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so I, this morning, I, I guess I can just think of no better reminder, before we get to baptisms, to look and to get a reminder of his mercy. You know, for many of you, the calling out has just become a way of life, and yet it's an ongoing battle. And one of the best encouragements to call out to him is to remember his mercy. And the way we do that in the body of Christ, and we do it here once a month on the first Sunday of every single month, is we take communion together. And so hopefully you got one of these when you came in. Did everybody get these? These showed up during COVID, right? Okay, now I want to talk to you about this for a second. Because there is, there is something very, I think this is a great object, object lesson for us right now. I mean, look at it. Okay, I mean, look at the top. Is that bread? Is it a cracker? Is it styrofoam? I think it's styrofoam, okay? When you're trying to figure it all out, when you're staring at desperate, desperate need and you're trying to figure it all out, mercy feels like this, doesn't it? You just go, there's nothing to it. I'm not even sure it tastes good. Do we have any salt and pepper and do we have seasoning? You know, you, you look at it and you think, God, what is that going to do? I, 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 don't, I don't really know what it's going to do. You think about each of the situations that we just walked through and the accounts we read here. And yes, a need was met, but you want to know what happened on a deeper level? A relationship. A relationship. You want to know why God wants to use our need to pry open our mouths? For relationship. Do you want to know why he went to the cross for relationship with you and I? Not so that we try to figure it out on our own, but that we would know we can call out to him and that he is faithfully present and there and he is provider. And I'm telling you, when you move from figuring out to calling out, you know what this becomes? A feast. It becomes an absolute feast. And so it's with that in mind, I, I want to put a, a verse, a passage up on the screen, and I want to give you a chance to reflect. And, and those who are being baptized, you are dismissed to head up on stage and start getting changed. 
But I want you to look at, this comes out of Titus, the book of Titus. And here's, here's a, a connection to our prayer. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. He saved us. Now, when you read he saved us, you read three words. And this is where it's helpful to look at the cross. And remember, what do, what do we remember at communion? His body was, it was broken. It was crushed. It was whipped. It was pulverized. When we take the bread or the cracker, you know what we're, we're remembering? We're remembering, remembering his body broken for us. And then we're remembering his blood that was spilled as we drink the juice. See, when, when it says he saved us, we have to look at the cross and remember that was a broken body. That was blood poured out. He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, not because we figured it out, but because of his mercy. He's a God who says, call out to me. And so I'm going to invite you to take one, two minutes, a couple minutes, and reflect. Reflect. Am I trying to figure out? Maybe this is an opportunity to call out. And if you've been calling out, Maybe this is an opportunity to begin to remember that great mercy. We'll come back in just a couple minutes here. Jesus and his disciples sat around the table the very last night of his, his life here on earth. In the middle of their conversation, we read this out of Luke 22. And he took bread, 
gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we'll take together the cracker in remembrance of his body given for us. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And so together, we'll take the cup now in remembrance of his blood poured out for us. I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you, and uh, in a month where it it can turn into a frenzy, Lord, uh, draw us back. Draw us back to your great mercy. We're very familiar with the, the knowing of our need. We know it so well. And so, Lord, bring us back to your mercy in the midst of it. And for those in here that regardless of the life situation they're in, maybe everything is completely fine, Lord, draw our eyes to you. Instead of figuring things out or thinking we've gotten where we are because we figured things out, Lord, give us that heart that calls out to you. It says, have mercy on us. Because we know that's a prayer that you look to us and you answer And your ways are not our ways, and so it may look different than we think. But Lord, let us never, ever forget, as we just were reminded at communion, of your great mercy that you have already answered before we ever called out to you at the cross when your son went there on our behalf. So we lift this morning, we lift these baptisms up to you. We thank you for your great mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.